0: Hello, and welcome to Mornings with Joel Commercial Real Estate Podcast, where we focus on rising stars and established players in commercial real estate and talk to them about how they are building legacies in today's marketplace. Welcome and thank you all for joining the Mornings with Joel CRE Podcast. We're very excited to have you here today. And we have uh, a man who is destined to be a legend here in the Atlanta market, Al McRae, who's uh, doing some great things with Bank of America. So welcome, Al. We're happy to have you here today. Well,
1: thank you, Joel. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, couldn't be more happy to be here with this, with your audience and uh, coming behind a lot of great presentations that I've seen and that you've done. So thank you for what you're doing in the community. And uh, I have much respect for you, brother.
0: Well, thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate that, man, very, very much. So for all of you who don't know, Uh, Al McRae actually is the city president. uh, I guess that's the proper way to say it for Atlanta with Bank of America, which is uh, incredible. Basically, he runs Bank of America for Atlanta. And that's a huge, huge honor. Al, just because, you know, obviously we want to encourage the next generation to step up and and achieve at that high level as you have. How did you actually get here? Because it looks like you have some roots in the Atlanta marketplace.
1: Yeah, thank you for that. Um, you know, to be honest, I I wish I had a story, Joel, that one that says I sat down when I was 10 years old and wrote out a strategy and a plan to be, you know, the president of Bank of America one day. And I set forth in that plan and I did all the right things. I talked to all the right people. But I but unfortunately that's not the that's not the case at all. I grew up in Middle Georgia, uh just as kind of a know my family was low to moderate income family my neither one of my parents finished college my father was in the military so when i made the decision about going to college it was really just one of saying hey this is what you do to try to you know get a good job and be successful and so i did that and uh, i came to atlanta to go to to attend georgia state university without really any direction about what i wanted to specialize in what i wanted to study and then I, i just i i got really acquainted to finance and and what's going on in the stock market and so I figured that would be a good way to go. And so I came out of school with a finance degree and it was not the greatest time in the economy. Um, And so I was fortunate that Bank of America had a program that they were launching here in Atlanta. That was basically an intern uh, sort of rotational type program that I participated in. It gave me exposure to all different parts of the bank. And I really started to to hone in an interest around just banking in general. And I still had this this love and, and desire for what was happening in the wealth management space and uh and so i was fortunate that i got into a, a role that was a, kind of an assistant and i started to understand stocks and investing and started to get really involved with understanding financial you know literacy and i enjoyed that it was something that i didn't necessarily grow up with you know sitting at the table at the household with my parents sketching out budgets and talking about you know financial planning and long-term planning but it was uh of interest to me and so That helped feed me. And so I got into it. And quite frankly, I just, I just put my head down. I just, you know, kept working, got more, got more education and designations uh, around the field. And then I remember the point where I was asked to be in leadership. And that's where, you know, I was the youngest in my group at the time. and, And I didn't know if I was ready for that. But I had a lot of great mentors and supporters and sponsors, and let me make that point: I don't think any of us achieve what we what we achieve as individuals without some level of support from those that are around us, and that includes folks that are in our community and outside of our community. Because if I look back on my on my past, it wasn't just the great Black and African American leaders or the diverse leaders that that helped sponsor me and mentor me. I also had a lot of great mentors uh, that were white females and white males, and took me under their wings. And so all of that kind of just, you know, added up to me, you know, being asked to do more and more. And last November, the organization asked me to serve as president for the market, which is a big responsibility. But Joel, I love it. I love the job. I love the role. I go to work every day excited about it and particularly excited about what I know we'll talk more about today and the opportunity to represent the bank and what we do to help support this community of Atlanta that I love so dearly. Yeah, yeah. Well,
0: that's that's an incredible story. And it, it obviously shows that you know, you put your head down and, and got a lot of work done in order to accomplish those things. I was looking at a, a couple of your awards, and it uh, mentioned U.S. Trust. And actually, that's where I started my career. Uh, I don't know whether you knew that or not, but I um, started at U.S. Trust at uh, 45 Wall Street. So We've got that common history. But it's uh, it's impressive, and it just shows that, that hard work can, can really get you there. And uh, it's funny, because I was having this conversation this morning, that all people reach a level of success stand on the shoulders of others. And, and like you said, it doesn't have to be just one demographic. It could be any demographic that can actually help you get there. So I uh, appreciate you sharing that. Now, it looks like there's um, a real good fit between what you're doing and what Bank of America is trying to accomplish. I read that they've committed $1.25 billion toward minority advancement and diversity, you know, which is pretty impressive. It even includes that um, indigenous, indigenous tribes. And things of that sort, which is very impressive, just at a high level. Uh, what what exactly does this all comp, uh, encompass uh, as it relates to their twelve? Uh, not twelve, excuse me. One point two five billion dollar commitment. So that's a lot of money, right? So, so where is it all going, and how can we get access to it ultimately?
1: Yeah, no, that's a great question. And so let me uh, let me just kind of take a little bit of a step back and first just acknowledge that, you know, I've been with Bank of America for 18 years. So I can truly and honestly say throughout that 18 years, there's always been a commitment to our community, to the issues around uh, diversity, equity and inclusion, to empowerment, understanding that there are challenges within particularly a lot of our low to moderate income communities, our minority communities. And the bank has always had a strategy of, of basically investing in those communities. When I say investing, I mean, you know, every year over $200 million of philanthropic support through our local nonprofit support uh, supporters to, to address a lot of issues. And so you mentioned that that $1.25 billion initiative, which got a lot of headlines, you know, obviously after the killing of George Floyd. But the truth is that we've, we've consistent, consistently had a level of support and a, and a, and a contribution of support to uh, to these communities. And so those those funds were were specifically directed to understanding and addressing some of the very real challenges that our minority communities have, folks that sit in low and moderate income positions. First, you think about health. Uh, the coronavirus, the pandemic, exasperated some of the issues that were already pre-existing in our communities when it comes to the disproportionate impact that certain illnesses have on folks that don't have access to healthcare or don't have access and adequate even just a, a basic food supply. And so when you layer on top of that economic outcome that the pandemic had, it kind of exasperated those issues in our community. So the first thing we wanted to do was address the fact that we understand there's health disparities in our system and how can we play a role in that? So we'll hear more about that because that's a long-term issue, Joel. That's something that's really challenging to, to, to tackle. And particularly, you think about not just to set the pandemic aside for a second, think about diabetes, cancer, heart. You know, Those are the issues that plague our community the most. Yeah. And so what the organization has decided to do was allocate funding, not only funding, but also resources, our human capital, to help support those causes and working with some of the great organizations, American Heart, American Diabetes, American Cancer Society. And say, how can we play a role in these communities, particularly for those cities and those, those areas that this, these, these issues plague us the most? The other areas that you talked about funding, right, We think about success for our Black African American communities, our minority communities when it comes to jobs. You know, think about how our economy and our demographics are changing and how, you know, a lot of the jobs of, of old are going away. And how do we reskill and retrain and retool mm-hmm. um, the labor force to participate in that? education plays a role in that. So, you know, a big part of supporting education and supporting individuals that for instance, going to HBCU. So we have within this uh, commitment, you know, we have have a goal continuously of diversifying our internship and classes that are coming in. And a lot of those diverse individuals are coming from historically black colleges and universities areas where we know some of the top talent exists for our Black and African-American students. Small business success, you mentioned that. So this one is big. And what I'll say is laser focus here in Atlanta, that's where I've been, um, is on economic mobility. And small business success is a big part of this. And we want to talk about, and we probably will get into this a little bit more with your questioning Mm -hmm. around what makes up for a successful individual. We know ownership is one of the biggest keys, ownership of your home, ownership of your business. Mm -hmm. And so Historically, there, that's been challenging here in our in our Black African American communities, and sometimes it's 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 systematic, right? It's programmatic. It's, it's it's policies that kept us from owning homes in certain areas and building equity, right. or policies that have kept us from access to capital for small businesses. So within that 1.25 billion dollar commitment, there's a piece of that that goes to let's help provide access to capital. So we work a lot with we have the largest we have a large investment in uh, CDFIs. Uh, which provides a lot of that capital to those small businesses in those communities. We also directly fund here in Atlanta, we have over six private equity venture capital partners that we funded to provide capital that those organizations, those PE funds actually go out and look for small businesses, small minority owned businesses, women owned businesses. Uh, And I'm proud to say that, you know, Atlanta is one of one of the top recipients of those funds you know, outside of New York and, and San Francisco. And so you, you look at the, the the ground, you look at the area that we have here in Atlanta, the opportunity is ripe for business success. Um, that's why I've dedicated myself to that. Um, I myself am a board member for Russell Innovation Center for Entrepreneurs. And I mentioned um, during the pre-call that Jay Bailey is a good friend of mine and someone that I support and I believe in. And so I've, I've myself allocated my own talents to that issue. And we've done a lot here in Atlanta outside of that. We Auburn Works District, we, we were one of the seed funders for their accelerator fund for their small business uh, grant program, uh-huh. and we continuously look for opportunities, as you mentioned, how do we get access to this capital. A lot of it is through some of our not-for-profit partners that are providing grants and loans and other accesses for those even so we can talk about this you know i could talk about this for days joel yeah. because the truth is that there are, are, are opportunities i would call them you know some you know, opportunities are so vast mm-hmm. that there's so many different areas that we're, we're we're trying to play a role in this community and as i mentioned in the beginning it gives me great pleasure to to serve as kind of the head of that and can, and sharing that with everyone out there yeah yeah
0: no that's, that's fantastic and you mentioned um, six different private equity firms that are actually out there deploying that capital. Uh, my research was saying it's about 350 million uh, that they have out there. Is it private equity for business? Is it for real estate? Is it, you know, do you have any any idea on what that is?
1: So that 350, that's for the that's across the country, right? So okay. what we've done is we've we've taken those funds and 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 our team goes and looks for uh those funds, those, those. You know, whether it's a PE or venture capital funds that are directly targeting small and minority and female owned businesses. The other thing I would say is that Bank of America also was helping provide direct asset access to capital. So you can all Google Black access to capital and women access to capital. So there's a those are two directories. And to your question about the types of funds, as you know, Joel, in that world, it depends on the type of uh, fund they're running, right? Some are focused on real estate, Mm -hmm. some are focused on business, some are focused on C stage, Series A, Series B, Series C. So what we wanted to do is kind of demystify demystify the issue of where do you get access to capital, right? So, you know, we got a lot of uh, opportunity to first educate on how to build a small business. Mm -hmm. But then once your business gets to a certain level, then you know some folks might start looking for other ways to grow their business. So that may be equity investments, that may be debt, debt investment. And Bank of America is trying to help solve that by providing those uh those two resources with just access to capital. So this is even outside of the, the PE VC firms that we support and that we invest in, um, to say, hey, these are these are places that you can go to try to find that access.
0: Okay, all right. Well, no, that's that's really good to know. So you can Google it and it's and it's right there and it's accessible. And um, we'll certainly dig into that for our listeners and, and get that information out. We appreciate sharing that. There was something also about uh, $2 billion in equality progress sustainability bonds. Do you know much of, about that or will we have to talk about that uh, a little offline a little bit later? I won't put you on the spot, you know, but as these things come up, they kind of come into my mind. So um, any any details on that at all?
1: Yeah, so just just kind of high level, um, you know, those types of bonds um, are offered to companies that are looking to progress on those issues. And what I'll say is, this is this is an innovative path for Bank of America to provide that type of. Uh, financing the other, I would also call out, and this one is is more local here, mm-hmm. is that we've uh, recently announced a, a neighborhood builders award that is specifically targeted to racial inequities, mm-hmm. and Nathaniel Smith, who is the executive director of Partnership for Southern Equity, was a recipient of that award. Mm-hmm. So this is just another example of what we're doing to try to help solve for you know issues that are related to sustainability. So you're going to start to hear a lot more if you not already have hear a lot about climate change and how climate change and things that are happening can also disproportionately impact our communities. Um, and what are we doing about that? So Nathaniel's a great partner in that work. Him and I have recently had an opportunity to sit down and, and, and go through some discussion points around what his organization is doing and how he's looking to solve for it. But this is an area that I would say probably doesn't get as much airplay. But mm-hmm. the truth is, is that it's an area that is, that is very important. And once again, Bank of America is looking at innovative ways to kind of help solve for some of those challenges.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. And then also you're the uh, managing director of the uh, Diverse Segments Business Division. Well, what exactly is the role of that group,
1: of that division? So this is this is something new that not just Bank of America, but all institutions understand and realize is that um, as we continue to see greater and greater wealth building in minority communities and communities of color and, and communities of different gender, it comes incumbent upon organizations to look take an internal look and say, What do we do to make sure that we can capture that opportunity? And whether that's looking at how we go to market, how we do business, what the products and services that we offer, or even the people that we have that represents our organization as we, you know, thinking about um, diversifying our workforce, these are all issues and concerns for us that we wanna make sure we stay on the cutting edge of understanding those demographic changes and being at the forefront to say, hey, we we should be the bank of choice for these particular communities. So in my role, it's a national strategy executive role, effectively taking a look at what we're doing right now and how we can be more effective across all of our markets with capturing that opportunity. And so that's my quote unquote what I like to call my day job. And it gives me great pleasure to do it because as I mentioned earlier in the call, I've always had a, a, a great affiliation and, and attraction to the areas of financial wealth building. And now we start to see more and more achievement Black African Americans because of whether it's business Mm -hmm. or whether because of education and going off and, and, and having roles in corporate America and being executives. Those are creating opportunities now that we have to have those conversations about you know, not just investing, but now we got to have complex conversations around wealth planning, estate planning, and those issues that normally we may not have had those conversations within our own families, but now come in causes of concern and things that we want help with. So the question is, we want to make sure that Bank of America's positioned um, because we are best in class, we want to make sure we're positioned to service that, that change in that demographic of wealth.
0: Yeah, yeah, And no, I appreciate you bringing that up. I didn't mention this earlier, but I've done a lot over the years in uh, financial literacy, just Trying to help because one thing that we I've noticed that I'm sure we all have noticed over time is the lack of generational wealth. You know, and now you're getting to the point where there are a lot of minorities that are actually selling the higher positions in the corporate world and in the personal private sector. But is that money going to translate to the next generation? And is it going to be there? And without that education of how to manage finances, it's not going to happen. You know, and often we, we start off with a handicap when we're buying our first home in our 30s. As opposed to other uh, demographics buying it in their twenties, you know, so we're already behind, you know, when it comes to having equity and worth, especially since, you know, many statistics say that fifty percent of your net worth is in your home. So, you know, it's it's uh, really something when you think about it. So, glad you're you're leading that initiative and in, in helping walk us down that road. So anything
1: else you wanted to add to that or? Yeah, I, I think you made a good point about home equity. And, and what I wanted to say is, is within my work, I do a lot of research. And, and one of the one of the most in, in interesting trends that I've seen is that since the pandemic, Black and African American individuals have started businesses at a at a clip of about 30% higher than any other demographic. Wow, I didn't know that. And and, and so when you think about that, what we're what we're seeing is we're seeing this groundswell of business creation and development. Now what we all understand as institutions is that, you know, once you start off as a sole proprietor and Joel, I'm sure you know this, Mm -hmm. you know, you come to a point where it's like, okay, how do you take that next step to grow? And that's where the issues of access to capital and credit and so forth come in. Because in order for us to to supercharge this, we need those businesses to hire people, Mm -hmm. right? We need these businesses to grow. And so that the the owners of that business build equity. Mm -hmm. On the other side of things, when you think about real estate, and I'm going to kind of go into your space here a little bit, Mm -hmm. think about the businesses that, own their real estate if they have a physical p- footprint versus those at lease mm-hmm. and think about the economic outcome and power that the owners have versus those at lease right so as you know when you own real estate mm-hmm. that then gives you the opportunity not only to participate in the realization of the growth and the value and there's been a lot of that here recently right. in the economy. But it also gives you the opportunity to leverage that, um, that equity if you want to grow your business. Yes. same way people can do this similar with their individual homes by having equity in their homes, which, you know, And I read another statistic that ninety 97% of millionaires have more than two properties, meaning that a lot of their wealth comes from real estate ownership. Uh-huh. Now, I would also, you know, I'm not giving financial advice here, but what I will also counsel folks to do is to take a look at. Equity ownership because real estate has certain characteristics that in certain markets it doesn't do as well. Well, how do you diversify your portfolio if you also have equity ownership? And so what we also know through studies is that Black and African Americans have a lower percentage of their assets held in stocks in the in the stock market. Mm -hmm. And 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 the reason for that you made this point is a lack of education, education. a lack of understanding. And, And so as you know, as we continue to be more and more interested in things like bitcoins and so forth, I would just caution people to say, expand your horizon when it comes to education around investing. Mm-hmm. Number one, get somebody that knows what they're doing to kind of advise you, but also understand the power of ownership. So whether that's ownership in stocks, ownership in, in, in homes, ownership in your business, ownership in your business real estate, all of that is what what empowers And to your point about this next generation, this legacy building. Mm-hmm. That's effectively how you build that legacy by keeping that ownership and then transition it to the next to the next generation right. and them, them, them doing the same and going to do it uh, again and again
0: yeah yeah absolutely absolutely and that, that's a very valuable point because it, it needs to be more than just real estate you know one thing that we all realize in you know is that real estate doesn't always go up it could go down
1: right that's
0: right and then when you look at commercial properties a lot of it is solely based on cash flow you know and if someone creates a, a builds a better building than yours across the street then maybe your cash flow will go down so you got to diversify your your portfolio and your assets, and that's um, certainly something that you've been uh, leading the charge with. I wanted to mention something also that uh, you just um uh, was successful in the uh, Merrill 2022 Black and uh, African American African American Advisors Symposium, getting that here to Atlanta. So uh, congratulations on that. And what, what's really that all about um, as it relates to uh, the advisors in the in the symposium?
1: Yeah, so this is, a, this is a great program that, that I think M- Merrill is, uh, is best in class at, is that really is bringing together their Black African-American advisors to talk about how to, you know, give them access to, to how they grow their businesses and put, bring them into a forum where they all may be dealing with common issues. And and having them opportunity not only just to network amongst each other, but that also share ideas and say how do we build our brands, how do we build our companies, and and getting some of the best practices from those across the country. So uh, as you all know, as you know, Atlanta is is ripe from a a business development perspective, and I was uh, interested to hear, and I think this may be a, about a year ago that there is no majority race or ethnicity in Atlanta. Um, so we're just that diverse. So it made us it made us for a great host city. Merrill actually had an opportunity to take those advisors and spend some time at the, the Center for Civil and Human Rights, which is a great expedition, which is a great, uh, a great uh, experience. experience. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it's a great experience, experience for folks that haven't seen it to actually, you know, you and I, we're, we're younger, right, Joel? So we didn't grow up in those times, but you go and you go through that experience and you really get to kind of sense and feeling just in a smaller space of what it might've been like for our people, you know, in those, in those early years, when there was a lot of struggle and strife. And so, by by providing those types of experiences, highlighting those issues, but then also then saying there's opportunity, and how do we develop those opportunities? You know, it gave me great pleasure and pride to to be with those uh, to be with that group. And so, as the president of Bank of America Atlanta, I have you know responsibility of making sure that I lend my support to all of our lines of business, everything we do here. So whether that's on the personal side, whether it's wealth management, banking, consumer banking, or on the business side of things, where it's us dealing with our our you know smallest businesses to our largest businesses I'm here to make sure I support those lines of business and all they do and, and as I stated the leadership here at Merrill uh, did a really good job putting that on and I, and I was happy to host
0: yeah yeah well no fantastic I certainly appreciate that generally at this point we do open up the, the lines and take a few questions uh, do you have a couple of minutes for that or how are you doing on sure. time? okay all right appreciate that let you guys if you got any questions uh go ahead and put those in the chat or raise your virtual hand and uh, we'll get those over to, uh, to Al from that standpoint. So we appreciate that. So, Al, let me ask you this uh, while we wait on those questions to, to come in. As, as president, you have to have a vision, right? You know, one thing that uh, I had a mentor many years ago, uh, he happened to be a, a Black individual, but he was with um, Prudential Securities where uh, we were handling our investment lines uh, related to our mortgage banking operations. One thing that he always shared with me is the lower you are on the total poll. You're really just working a job and you're being told what to do. But as you move further up, they're expecting you to be more entrepreneurial, even though you're working at a, at a large corporation. And so with you now serving as that presidential role, where would you like to take the, the bank um, from that standpoint or this region that, that you're actually president over? So if we were to look ahead, let's say five years from now, what would you like for it for to look like? What would you like to see?
1: Well, that's a good question. So, so first, I would say to the advice that one of your mentors gave you, I mean, I, you know, I think there's, there's one context to say, like, you know, you're working your way up. But the other thing that I tell people that I mentor is that it's never too early for you to have an executive mentality. And when I say that, when, you know, if you come into a company, a lot of times, the first thing they offer you is benefits. And they say, you know, you can participate in the 401k, and even through that 401k, you might even have an opportunity to own some company stock, you know, by buying it there. And if you think about that, you become an owner of the company as soon as you purchase that stock, whether it's through 401k or through a taxable account. And so I always like to tell people that it's never too early to have an ownership or an executive mentality. Uh And what that means is, is that if you're an owner of a company, you have every concern and right to know what's going on with that company. You wanna know the company's culture. You want to understand the company's strategy and how they how they execute. You want to understand what the macro environment how that's affecting the, the company, the positively or negatively. And so for us, we have you know quarterly town halls every quarter, and our CEO speaks. And I encourage every associate attend those 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 virtual meetings. Listen to the CEO. Listen to how they present and what he's or she is is uh, is is where she's looking. He or she's looking to drive the, com- the company. Uh, and what points are important? Um, because they'll tell you, right? They're, you know, these are this is information that's public. This is information that they talk to with the analyst community. This is how people decide whether or not to invest in the stock. And so I said, starting early with that, even if you don't understand everything, I think creates that that mentality as you do move up in the ranks. It gives you that executive level presence. So something that I did very early is I just started to look and say, hey, what's important to our company? And so when you ask, how where do we want to drive our our business? I think for us, it's continuously driving responsible growth. And when we say responsible growth, it kind of harkens back to those days when bank earnings and and our our quarter-to-quarter results were more volatile because our business was not as balanced. So now today we have a much more balanced business. When we think about risk management, risk management is at the core of what we do and we take on a client and we're, we're, we're helping our clients grow. And then overall, we look at the the, the company as the, from a people perspective. It's what are we doing to both take care of our colleagues and our, our people, right? So that's everything from our policies around minimum wage, our policies around uh, hiring and low to moderate income areas, our policies when it comes to supporting our associates with, with policies such as mental health benefits that help them, you know, them and their families. All the other uh, benefits when it comes to you know, 401k and the things that help them grow and be successful for themselves. Uh, and then, what are we doing in our community, and what impact are we having? Because we we understand if we're going to do business in this community, we also have to have a care for the community, and knowing that a rising tide looks all boats. So, the more we care for our communities, we, the more we solve for the biggest challenges in our communities, the better we will be as an organization. So, for us. It's the power of the ad. We can be a successful, profitable com- company, and we can do good in our community.
0: Yeah, yeah, do good while while doing well as well. So that's uh, that's an interesting <coughs> mantra, as to how you do that. Kalia did have one question here. Uh, we'll squeeze this one in. How do I locate available internships here in Atlanta at Bank of America? Are there any internships at Bank of America here in Atlanta?
1: We do so we have internship cycles that, that typically run, and, and you can find this actually on our on our careers website. Because for all of our colleges, and I'll also before I answer the question, go to your college career services because they will also have information on the timing. But they typically start early fall when it, the application process, and then they run through the fall in terms of information sessions and interviews, uh, and then we make decisions, and then those decisions are for the next summer. So um, right now is actually prime time to start thinking about that and looking for that information.
0: Okay. Well, I appreciate that. Hopefully, Kalia, that that answered your question. I did want to circle back on on one thing that you mentioned, and you hopped on this uh, a couple of times, and I think it's very important, which is why I want to bring it up again, is um, minorities in, in the workforce putting money away into 401ks and IRAs and not just doing real estate. Why do you think that that lags behind? You probably have more statistics on that than I do, but why do you think we lag behind in that? And, and I, I preface it by saying this. I remember one of my early jobs uh, on Wall Street and not understanding these type of plans, you know, I was like, oh man, you know, it's probably just some trick to hold on to my money. I could invest my own money, right? And uh, and I wouldn't participate. And I didn't have anybody to educate me on that either, because like your parents, they weren't superstar executives and, and just didn't know. So, what why do you think that is—that that minorities just don't participate more in, in the forward case and IRAs and things of that sort? Uh, if that is the case, I mean, you might have statistics to the contrary. I don't
1: know. No, it, it is it is the the case, unfortunately, and um, and I think it's it's multifaceted. There, I think there are a, a number of reasons. I, mm-hmm. you know, I think a lot of times it comes down to to education. Number one, exposure and education, I think, are the two biggest reasons, right? So, if you think about why, on the flip side, you know, as we say. Um, minorities have a lower ownership in, in stocks, but they have a, a higher percentage of their balance sheet is actually held in real estate. And uh, when I look at certain studies and, and surveys, a lot of it is because, of, you know, individuals, it's hard. The stocks are intangible, right? You can't touch it. You can't drive by it and see it. You don't collect a, necessarily a rent from it every month. And I think that that lack of tangib- tangibility Mm-hmm. Is, is also a barrier, right? Because like you said, people just don't understand it. I mean, if you turn on CNBC, uh, you see a bunch of green and red numbers, right? At the bottom of the screen. But the question is, what does that really mean? Mm-hmm. So I, I think education and exposure are, are two of the biggest hurdles, right? So if you look across the industry and we're getting better, but you know, we still have a big gap in the number of Black African-American people that are out there as advisors, as people that you know, are, are providing the education to that community that has that connectivity to that community. You mentioned the Black African-American Advisor for uh, Symposium. That's one of the missions is like, how do we continue to grow that force to educate folks that are that have different connectivities? Um, and at the same time, I think, you know, I don't know if you're a parent, but it's a coming upon us as parents that we start to have those conversations and expose our children to those topics and not hide it from them and say, Oh, this is grown folks' business, it's not your business, right? Or, but you know, I bring my son in and, and I talk to him about finances, and I use a service through him with him of uh, just sitting down and, and he sees CNBC and I talk to him about stocks and ownerships and things that he can relate to, like Roblox. You know, Roblox went public, uh, I think a year or so ago, and, and I talked to him about that. So it's it's really just exposure, right? It's the lack of that exposure. But then, once we get it, then we have a strong interest in it. So I've been very proud to work with a lot of individuals that had no, you know, educational exposure in the beginning. But then after that, set them on a path, and 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 they're they're doing great. So it it, it really is that that uh, I think that piece, Joel, is the is the biggest part. Yeah,
0: yeah, I can agree with that. It's, it's definitely about exposure, and you know, seeing even more minorities in, in higher positions gives them the belief that they can actually achieve those things too and just having them exposed to that it was kind of one of the things even behind the podcast it was like hey you know there's so many people out here doing things but as a as a group it, it seems kind of fragmented you know there's a guy over here there's a guy over there you know for a long time we were we were thinking that there were only uh black three black CEOs in America you know you had Stanley O'Neill and Ken Chenault and a couple of others right. you know? and that was pretty much it but You know, there's a lot out there, and um, exposure certainly is key. I wanted to talk about that also, even as it relates to life insurance. And and I want to head down this path a little bit because one thing that I noticed is that there's really two areas in life where you receive your largest chunk of capital if you're an average person. You know, you own your home, and when you own your home, you can sell that and receive a lump sum of capital. And if someone in the family dies, you can then receive a lump sum of capital as well. As you probably know, the Rockefellers did a lot with insurance over the years in order to eventually formulate the family bank. And that's something I would love to see more families do is create a family bank. What do you think we can do to help more minorities appreciate the importance of life insurance and other types of insurance products in there uh, as a benefit to their families?
1: Well, I'll say this, Um, you know, you you, you point out a a kind of a prominent example here. Uh, I think... You know, not not getting into the field of providing financial advice. What I will say is that in my years of working in a private bank, mm-hmm. what I did notice uh, was really striking and interesting to me. To your point, is that when someone died, usually in in, in in these families that had wealth, you know, instead of everybody arguing over, you know, who's going to get the curio cabinets and, and you know, who's going to pay the funeral bill, which, you know, this is this is my story of my family. There was always kind of a payout, whether that was related to you know insurance or related to assets that they have accumulated. And it was and it was a lot of times in the world that I was in, it was paid through trust, right? And and so I started to see certain strategies and vehicles that were designed to both build and sustain wealth through generations. And I think that's what, you know, a larger point that you're making here around a particular product. But, you know, and it all depends on that family structure, right? Depends on the type of assets that family has and the liquidity of those assets and the levels. And, And what I'll just say for folks out there is just, you know, I've heard before that people think that estate planning is only for, quote unquote, rich people or wealthy people. And the truth of the matter is, is that estate planning is for everyone, right? And people don't really understand or realize that you don't have to have millions of dollars to need an adequate estate planning. You don't have to have millions of dollars to need certain products, whether that's investments, whether that's insurance or whatever it may be. And if you don't have, it's, it's similar to... You know, we don't operate on ourselves, right? You know, for most of us that aren't in the medical field, if there's something wrong with us, we typically go see a doctor. And a lot, of, a lot of people that may be spiritual, you know, you typically have spiritual counselors, right? You don't, typically don't just do it on your own. I think finances is one of those areas where people have to get comfortable with seeking out advice and help. As opposed to relying, relying on their own understanding or relying on their own intuitions when it comes to what they need and what they don't need and what's going to work and what's not going to work. And so I think we still, you know, to your, your question before, I think we have a challenge there, Joel, is we have a challenge of people you know, being ready to go out and seek that advice and say, hey, can you tell me what I need? This is my, these are my goals. This is what I'm looking to do. What products and services and ways do I need to acclimate myself in order to get there?
0: Yeah, You know, Al, you, you bring up a good point. And, and to me, it's it's a larger issue of just the culture of the community and, and not just the black community or a lot of communities. But the idea of in this country, it's it's taboo to talk about how much you have and you really don't want people to know how much you have. And a lot of times it's also you're presenting an image. So you might have a fancy car. So a lot of minorities, as you know, they buy a fancy car, but they buy a house. Right. At least that's the way it historically has been done so it's always this image and i can't go to a financial advisor because they'll know that i'm just funny <laughs> right so it's a, it's a sad thing but it's a dynamic that has to change and it's it's a it's a mentality that has to be affected to your point humble yourself and go get the help you need in order to to take yourself to the next level
1: so I yeah that. i have a saying and i've i've worked in this field for a number of years and yeah. and I, what i what i started to see is that Wealth is as much as what you can't see than what you can see. Mm -hmm. So if you can see it, right, and you can see it in tangible things like houses and cars and jewelry and whatever else people may equate wealth to, it actually is the opposite. Because typically people that have wealth, you don't see their wealth. You can't quantify it by saying like how much a particular car costs, how much a particular house costs. You won't be able to discern their wealth from that. And so I just think there's a balance there. That, that that folks should understand when it comes to building wealth and building to, you know, be able to retire comfortably and transfer wealth to your children or what have you, as opposed to just to your point about consumption.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, you look at a, like a Warren Buffett is a good example of that, right? You know, you would never know if you look at his house and his car that he's uh, he's so wealthy. So very, very good point. Tamika had a question here for tenant clients. Does B of A do business lending for build out or just purchase loans. So I don't know if you know the answer to that, but uh, if you
1: do, please help us out. Yeah, I think um, if you get Richard back, write that one down and let Richard go into the details of, of our financing strategy when it comes to uh, commercial real estate. Because you know, I spent all my all my years in, in private wealth, but you have a resource through Richard that I think could speak to that pretty directly. So make sure that that person that asked that question gets that gets that answer from Richard.
0: Okay, all right, sounds good. And for y'all who don't know, that's Richard Slayton. Well, I'm sure everybody knows. Uh, he'll be back on the show hopefully uh, in a few weeks. We haven't scheduled. So thank you for that question, Tamika. We'll make sure you get your answer for that. Now, one other thing also does, and, and I believe this is taboo, but I, not taboo for you, but just industry wide. I just want to ask it because you can help clarify it for me. Generally, you won't have a bank recommend a particular investment, but they might recommend a particular fund to invest in. Is that correct? So like for example, if there's a group that's investing in real estate, uh like say a, a BlackRock, for an example, will, well that's a competitor, but will Bank of America say, hey, you know, maybe you should invest in, or or let me phrase it this way, are individuals able to talk to to financial advisors about possibly having their clients invest in uh investments that they have related to real estate and other things that the bank doesn't directly do?
1: I think that's a better way to put it. Yeah, no, thank you. Yep, exactly. So um just to give you a little insight on how the process works. Typically, when we sit down with someone, we'll assess kind of where their assets are, right? Um, the type of assets they have. We do a kind of a balance sheet review, right? So we look at assets that includes cash, you know, investments in the stock market, you know, real estate, you know, direct investments, so forth. We look at loans. And so then we kind of come up with a strategy and a plan and say, okay, based on you know their financial situation uh, we make recommendations and typically when we build what we call a portfolio of assets right or recommendations that can that can be accomplished that can be everything from stocks bonds uh it can be direct on real estate it could be indirectly on real estate through like a fund structure as you were mentioning commodity exposure depending on the level of wealth it also could be things like private equity funds and so forth so it really depends joel person to person, but what the advisor or the relationship manager or the client advisor responsibility is really to try to sit down with that individual and say, okay, you know, here are where your assets are. And and we speak about diversification, you know, we're big proponents of diversification. So if we see things that are uneven, if we see you have more in one asset than the other, we would recommend kind of how to rebalance that and put you in a position where you're not as susceptible to macroeconomic events, right? So you mentioned, you know, 2008, 2009, For those folks that were overly concentrated in real estate, they were disproportionately impacted by the 2008-2009 financial crisis. And remember our conversation before, Black African-American individuals had the larger part of their wealth in real estate. So you can imagine what that period did to wealth in the Black community for those that had real estate versus those that had financial assets and that typically recovered faster than those that had real estate, right? And and same thing could be said for the pandemic. Commercial real estate holders had a tougher time in the pandemic because businesses were shutting down. You think about restaurants, you think about people that have brick and mortar. So, you know, you probably saw a lot of businesses go out of... you know, go under and therefore those that own those commercial real estate properties, they did they weren't collecting the rents. So it's really our job as advisors to, to go through and highlight some of those challenges and opportunities when you have concentrations is what we call them and say how how can you balance this out? You know, maybe you need more exposure to the stock market or maybe you need less exposure to the stock market you need more exposure to real estate. It all depends. Okay. All
0: right. That makes sense. Let me ask this also does Bank of America do any LP investing or is it just debt? You know, or will they become a limited partner in a, let's say if I was building a $300 million building, you know, would they jump in on the equity side or just on the debt side?
1: So you know we we actually have ways. That's probably another question for Richard to okay. get deeper into, kind of how we um, how we finance both from a debt and equity perspective, right? So that's that's definitely something to ask him. But what I also say is, you know, we talked earlier about another avenue by which we invest is we are we'll take a position in a PE or VC fund that may ultimately take a position in your company, right? So okay. Bank of America may hone an ownership position, and that was a part of that conversation around the uh, the 350 million that. We have now across the country in various funds. And so when that fund makes a decision, maybe to go in and invest in a minority developer, let's say, well, Bank of America, by way of us having ownership in that fund, now has ownership in that development.
0: Gotcha, you, gotcha. You. And I want to elaborate on that because that relates to real estate directly. And it's a very, very important point. You know, you could do it if you want. How important is that for, let's say, a development company to really get rolling if they have that? investment in their operating business as opposed to directly in a piece of you know in a particular asset if you want to elaborate on that or i can do
1: it either way yeah so so there's two i think there's two parts to that question i'll leave the the cre question about the company and their in their cap structure right because that's what you're okay. asking about the structure of their capital like whether it's the, you know on the balance sheet or in the property but for us on the other side of the of the table i think you know First, as I mentioned, we will invest through PE and VC funds, right, that invest. But then if, we, or if we're we looking at like from an underwriting perspective, right, looking at the deal, then that's where you want to really talk to someone like a Richard Slayton who can give you that insight to say, hey, you know, if you're going to a deal, if it has a certain amount of equity, it may be in the land, it may be come t- to the table with cash, you need a certain level of debt. Then that's where that advisory about what's the right mix of equity and debt and how to finance a deal would go. So, you know, some of this can get very complex, as you know, when you start getting to those bigger developments, Joel, you know, sometimes people can go in and you can buy a, a four-unit apartment building, right? That's more, that'd be more akin to, you know, real estate, uh, uh, single family re- finance and how, it, how it's structured. But then you start getting into these larger deals, you got debt equity and all these other considerations. Like I said, I don't want to speak out of school because Richard is the, Richard for Bank of America, for, for all you out that don't know, is the is the absolute, I would say, the expert in this field. He's been doing it for a number of years. Yeah. But just know that, you know, we do have a, a a process for doing that. We do have a plan for that to help folks with, with understanding that piece.
0: Sure, sure. I appreciate that. And what I wanted to mention for the listeners, in, in addition to what I was just saying, is that anytime you go to develop a larger deal, the question is, who's going to guarantee the money? Right? So you go to a Bank of America or anywhere else, and you say, hey, I mean, even if it's the debt, I need $60 million in debt. OK, well, who's going to sign on the dotted line as that guarantor to make sure that that $60 million goes back or gets paid back? And what they're going to want to see is the balance sheet of the people who are sponsoring the deal. So now if you have a Bank of America who has put money into a fund and that fund invests on your balance sheet, now you can present the balance sheet and say, hey, we've got the capital here in order to back this loan. And now you're having to bring in less partners which dilutes your equity in the deal. So it is very, very, very important. If you're able to have that type of investment. In fact, I'm not going to mention any names, but there's multiple minority developers that I know of that were able to get cash infusion on their balance sheet that are now doing tremendous things because they're able now to walk into a bank and say, Hey, I've got assets on my balance sheet. Yeah, let's do business.
1: So and and so I'll say, like in the in the personal realm, Joel, because that's where I I lie, right? When we do the same thing, right? You think about underwriting loans. Um, for someone that wants to buy a home or they want to buy art or whatever it may be right it's it's looking at the health of the balance sheet right right we look at we look at things, you know it, individuals should look at themselves as companies you know for every individual that you, if you own a w-2 income you have an income statement right you have income you have expenses and then you have you know what's left over you also have a balance sheet and so if you're you know going back to this point about consumerism and spending if you're not spending as much as you're earning, then you're able to add that cash to the balance sheet. Mm-hmm. So when you walk into a bank and you have cash and you have equity and properties and, and you're looking to 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 secure financing, it's a different question, it's a different conversation than if you don't, right? If you're seeing that you know cash flow isn't positive and you don't have any assets or any equity, you know, that's a much different conversation. So I think just you know, Joel, to your point, you can kind of feather that out to just a larger conversation around just you know, income statements and balance sheets. And I always, um, I'm a proponent of folks to, to operate yourself as a business. Even if you don't have a business, operate your own personal finances as a business would.
0: Yeah, yeah, your your family household should be run like a business. You know, you, you hate to say that, but it's true, especially as it comes to managing assets and resources. So that's a very good point. But yeah, man, it's it's extremely important because a lot of people think that to get a real estate deal done, they just have to raise equity. They just have to raise the money and then they can walk in and say, Well, I got my 10%. Let's go ahead and close. But that balance sheet plays a very vital part in making sure that your deal gets funded because they're going to want to know who has the deep pockets behind the deal. So having that balance sheet is very vital, sometimes even more important than having the equity. Because if you can get the balance sheet taken care of, you can raise the equity. But the balance sheet could even be harder in some cases. So very powerful point. So while we're we're almost at the at the end here. Um, I really appreciate you hanging in here with us. You know, I'll, I'll disclose this. first we were told, all right, you're only going to get 15 minutes because he's so powerful and so important. <laughs> but you hung in there with us. I want to say thank you, bro. We certainly appreciate it. You know, so as we wrap up, I do want to ask you this. Um, ask someone starting out, uh, not myself because, you know, I've, I've been around for a minute, but for others that, because we're really trying to help the next generation of minorities take it to the next level in the real estate space. They're starting to make money. They're starting to you know, get things going. What would you say would be one of the first things that they need to do to really get on a sound financial footing so they don't lose the money that they're making now and they're able to build and grow on what they have? And I think I know what you're going to say, but I'm going to go ahead and let you say it anyway. So what, what would you say? Well,
1: well actually, so I'll, I'll take it to where before you even think about the finance part of it, think mm-hmm. about investing in yourself and in the knowledge that you have. And the way that you do that is not necessarily through formal education all the time. I mean, of course, you can go and get a degree and, and that kind of thing. But I think one of the most important things you can do is really find a good mentor or sponsor out there that's already doing what you're trying to do and, and kind of work alongside that person and let that person kind of feed you knowledge and information about whatever it is that you want to do. So if it's commercial real estate, which, you know, Joel, as you know, there's a high barrier of entry just because financing is, is difficult, finding deals. Ah, uh, the deal sizes are typically larger, right? So, you know, I think people that are just getting started, you know, trying to get that knowledge and investing yourself and kind of pouring yourself into understanding what that market looks like, what that industry is, and then managing your finances and being really prudent when it comes to, you know, first personally, because a lot of times people start out they're using their own personal balance sheet you know, when they're first starting out, right? Mm -hmm. Like a a, a beginner can't necessarily go out to the street and raise a hundred million in equity for a deal all the time because you don't have a name recognition. So a lot of times, you know, they might be starting small, they may start with a duplex. And I think I heard this from uh, Clive who was on your uh, show maybe a while back and he talked about how he started small and then scaled up. Uh, I think people should be realistic about their goals and and understanding that there's a lot of learning that goes into it and then surround themselves with people that's going to feed them that information.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Good point. And then one thing about those people feeding you information, they'll help you understand how to manage your money going forward as well. In most cases, they can kind of feed you that information as well. So we certainly appreciate that. So uh, Al, what final words do you have for us today as, as we wrap up? I know you have a lot on your plate this Monday morning and uh, we certainly appreciate you calling out some time for us, but what would you like to close with today to help us understand and appreciate
1: well, first, it's just uh, let me just first say the appreciation that I have for Joel, what you're doing and the fact that we're bringing people together to have these conversations, because that's where it starts, right? Is that you know, maybe someone learned something new today that they didn't know yesterday. And if we can keep doing that every single day, then we can see continued progress in the area of having people be more successful. Um, and I' just'm glad and happy to have the platform to talk about. Both from myself, my background, and then what Bank of America is doing, largely as an organization, to uh, to impact the, the broader community, and for those people to stay on the lookout for that, and and always uh, think about us when they when they're going through the motions and saying, "Okay, how can I take the next step?" And, and once again, it doesn't happen overnight, but you know, I think I'm myself and others are testaments to. You know, you just keep diligent, keep at it, keep working hard and keep, you know, meeting people and putting yourselves in positions of discomfort sometimes where, hey, it may be a little uncomfortable, but that's where growth lies. Continuously, you know, challenge yourself and put yourself out there and it can happen. So once again, Joe, I'm very grateful for the opportunity. This doesn't have to be the last time. I'm always happy to come back and give an update, sure. uh, and particularly when when it comes to the the CRE questions. Richard, who's a good friend of mine and somebody that I that I is highly capable in this space, you know, he'll be able to answer those very distinct and direct questions when it comes to a lot of the things that we do uh, mm-hmm. for Bank of America for supporting you know uh, minority developers and 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 making sure that we play a role in uh, in in helping all small businesses succeed in this market. So so thank you again.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. Will, you were asking the question. Who's Richard? Again, that's Richard Slayton. He was uh earlier guest on the show. He's with Bank of America. I don't remember his exact title right now. Do you know of Han Al? Yeah, he's um, so he's
1: our he, he's our representative for our community development bank. So he is everything that that's development for in Atlanta, particularly around affordable housing. So, you know, low-income housing, tax credits. Richard's the expert on all of that. So mm-hmm. that's the person that you want to talk to about those types of uh Happens.
0: okay all right great yeah so that's richard Slayton um again he's uh he's been on he'll be on again uh, in a few weeks so we, we had to cut his other uh taping short but he'll be here with us and um, we'll get you that information we certainly appreciate it Al I do have to mention also that um, if you're downloading this broadcast please uh like us at the bottom of wherever you get your podcast we would certainly appreciate that and if you're watching us on YouTube please subscribe. And uh, leave your comments as well in the uh, section below. So we really appreciate that as well. And uh, Al, again, I, I can't say enough. And by the way, I love that wall back there. That that wood design is beautiful. You to top. <laughs> Whoever did that for you, you did a great job. So
1: thank stuff.
0: you, sir. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's beautiful. So we appreciate <laughs> that. But um, hey, great to have you today. Thank you so much. Um, give our regards to uh, the rest of the expanded family as we're all getting to know each other here in the Atlanta market and. Welcome to your, your new role. Um, you know, we're excited to have you here in Atlanta, and uh, we know you'll represent the bank well in the city. So thank you for that.
1: Well, thank you, Joe. And uh, we'll, we'll speak again soon, brother.
0: All right, appreciate it. So well, this has been the Mornings with Joe CRE podcast. Thank you again for being here with us today. Have a great afternoon. You've been listening to Mornings with Joe, commercial real estate podcast where we focus on rising stars and established players in commercial real estate and talk to them about how they are building legacies in today's marketplace. Please check back weekly to hear our upcoming guests.